Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Okay, let's jump into today's message. We kicked off last Sunday. We called last Sunday's Vision Sunday for us as a church, where we talk about what the theme is for us together this year. And right across Gateway in every space, we talked about the fact that God had placed on the heart of our church this whole idea of salvation. It's not a new idea. It's been his idea from the beginning of time. But we want to just believe God is saying to our church, this is a time and a season of salvation. So we're going to pack, unpack that over the next 10 weeks as we do a journey through the book of Exodus. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Exodus is the second book of the scriptures. And uh, it, it traces in the early part the story of what was happening with a group of people uh, known as the Israelites. And I, I want to catch you up on that story to where we want to get to today. So if you have no biblical knowledge, let me give you a snapshot to catch you up to the story that is told in Exodus. Now it starts with a man by the name of Abraham. I think everybody, whether they've been in the church all their life or never been in the church, has probably heard of Abraham or Father Abraham. Most faith traditions have a line somewhere that points to Abraham. And the Bible tells us of this man, Abraham, it doesn't tell us a lot about his credentials. It just tells us that God chose to come and speak to Abraham and speak to him about a promise and a blessing. The Bible talks about a covenant that God created with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, who at that time was a married man with no children, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. In other words, you're going to have a family that's going to become a nation. And through you, Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed. All people on earth will be blessed, Abraham, through your family. Now, Abraham couldn't see it because he had no kids. But God did a miracle. And in late life, like well into their 90s, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have a child, a son by the name of Isaac. Now, Isaac goes on to have some children of his own, one by the name of Jacob, Now, Jacob's story is unpacked in the book of Genesis in the Bible, but Jacob has an interesting story because he falls in love with this girl by the name of Rachel. She's got a sister by the name of Leah, and it was very acceptable in those days, and it happened that Jacob ends up marrying sisters. Now, that would just be a complicated family environment, wouldn't it? But he's married to Leah, and he's married to Rachel, but the Bible tells us that he really loves Rachel, and that creates tension in his family. Now, Leah has a bunch of kids to Jacob, but Leah's servant also has kids to Jacob. And then Rachel has some kids to Jacob, and Rachel's servant has some kids to Jacob. You think your family is complicated. Just imagine Christmas Day with Jacob. Two wives that are sisters and their servants, and they've all got kids together. One big happy family. Imagine carving the turkey in that Christmas Day. Anyway, so Leah... Leah's servant, Rachel, Rachel's servant, they all have kids, to Jacob. Jacob, we're told, has 12 sons. Now, you can imagine that the family dramas flow through to the next generation, and we start to see that there's some issues with Jacob's children, none more than the fact that one of the boys that was born to Rachel, the wife that he really wanted and loved, 
was a guy, a kid by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was also a dreamer, but Joseph wasn't really smart with his dreams because he'd have dreams that would tell him about how he was going to be doing all these things to help his brothers and how he was going to be ruling over his brothers. But J- uh, Joseph did the stupid thing and actually went and told his brothers that he'd been dreaming that one day he was going to be lording things over them. Now, I don't know, I've got four boys and uh, a dream like that would not go down well in my family because like sibling rivalry emerges and it did in, Jacob, in Jacob's family with his boys. Joseph's brothers disliked the fact that Joseph was telling them about all these dreams. So one day Joseph goes out to find his brothers in the field and they don't deal with it with just a little punch on. A few of his brothers decide that they want to take out the dreamer, the Bible says, and they're going to kill Joseph. But the older brother, Reuben, says, no, 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 we, let's not have anyone's blood on our hands. Let's just throw him into a cistern, into a well. And Reuben, the Bible tells us, we're going to come back later and rescue him and take him back to his dad. But the brothers throw him into a well. And while they're sitting there having their lunch, they notice uh, a party of uh, foreigners coming by. And they're like, well, why don't we just deal with it here and now? Why don't we sell him to the foreigners? And so they sell their brother into slavery or into the service of the Ishmaelites. And so Joseph, uh, uh, you're sticking with me, it's a complex story, I know. You're trying to map the family tree. It all started with Abraham, right? Now we're at Joseph. Joseph gets sold to some Ishmaelites and the story of Joseph begins and it's unpacked in the back end of the book of Genesis. You can read it later. There's a whole bunch of chapters that are assigned to the story of Joseph. But Joseph's journey takes him on a really interesting path where even though in slavery, everything that Joseph touches seems to turn to gold. And so he finds favor in the places that he finds himself. You see, even if today you're someone that wonders why you have the position you have, if you just keep doing it to the best of your ability and to the glory of God, you just don't know how God's gonna use that to do some really good things. And that's what happens with Joseph. He just keeps doing what he does and he finds himself getting elevated to prime positions to the point where he finds himself in a foreign land, the land of Egypt. And Joseph, we're told, finds himself now as one of the top officials, like the two I see in the land of Egypt. And Egypt and the surrounding regions uh, suffer a significant famine. But God uses the skills that Joseph has to help lead through that natural disaster. And Joseph is really wise with how he gathers uh, provisions and looks after the people. And in the end, Joseph's family, so remember Joseph's family who sold him into slavery and have no idea what happened to him, the land where they live is now in famine too. And so they come to Egypt for help and Joseph now in charge recognizes his brothers, they don't recognize him. And long story short, Joseph ends up helping his family and his family now makes their home in Egypt. Long story, okay? Now are you with me? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph, sold by brothers. Joseph moves to Egypt, does really well, gets to a high place, brings his whole family, the lineage of Abraham, into Egypt. And so Abraham's family, this, this family that has a promise over them that they'd be a great nation, is now living in a foreign land, the land of Egypt. But the way they got there was actually really positive. You see, the Egyptians and the officials in Egypt actually thought Joseph and his family were pretty awesome because of the work they had done. And so they're in Egypt, and it's a good start to their story in a foreign land. But now over a really short section of the scripture, we actually see the whole thing go really badly south. 
The Bible tells us that those who knew Joseph and knew of Joseph, those that were in power when Joseph came to the land, actually passed away. And the next generation of leadership in Egypt did not have the same affection for Joseph and his family. Why? Because they saw that Joseph and his family that were now living in Egypt started to multiply and they started to get concerned that this growing nation that was living with them was actually going to get to a size that it was going to be problematic for them. The Bible actually says that the the Pharaoh started to be concerned if war emerged, that this nation of Israelites within Egypt was going to rise up and actually be too powerful because they were growing so big in size. So the Bible says that forgetting the good times and the reason that they arrived there, that the Egyptians started to oppress the Israelites. Okay, so now this nation that arrived in Egypt under good terms, that history has been forgotten and now these people are oppressed and made slaves to the Egyptians. And here's where we lose a little bit of perspective in history because the Bible just seems to jump really quickly to the next part of the story. But it tells us at one point that the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years. Get your head around that time period for a minute. For 400 years, the Israelites are living under an oppressive regime as slaves in Egypt. We don't have a full picture of what they did. It tells us that they got forced into hard labor, hard manual labor. We read at part that they were making bricks for the Egyptians to further their domination and their building projects and that the Israelites were enslaved to help the building projects of the Egyptians. It actually names a couple of cities that the Israelites helped to build. But by the time we get to the story of Exodus, we're now 400 years into the story of Israel in Egypt. And even though the beginnings were really good, we now have a generation of people that all they've ever known is slavery. You see, when they talk to their parents about what life was like, the story their parents tell is one of oppression and slavery. When they talk to their grandparents about what life was like, the only story they've got to give is one of oppression and slavery. And generation to generation to generation, the story of oppression and slavery and making mud bricks for the Egyptians was the story of the people of Israel that we encounter at the start of the book of Exodus. See, this wasn't just something that happened overnight. 400 years ago, there was a great part of their story where they were welcomed with open arms into Egypt. But now 400 years later, they were living as slaves, oppressed by a brutal regime. The Bible goes on to tell us more horrific details about life, what life was like. It actually says that that the Pharaoh became even more concerned about how rapidly the community of the Israelites was growing, that he ordered a genocide We don't want to just skip past that. He said, you know, the firstborn son of every family should be chucked in the Nile. What a horrific story that these people were living. What a horrific story that these people were living. And that's where we arrive in the story of the Exodus. And the Bible simply tells us this, that even though they were living this story, they knew there was something different. Even though that you're living a story, you've never known anything different, your family's never known anything different. Generation after generation after generation has never known anything different from the story that you're living right now. But there's a yearning within that there could be something different. 
Now, this was a time in history where the kids weren't on iPhones and iPads and they couldn't turn on the news, so they couldn't look at images and pictures of what different might look like, but there was a yearning in their spirit that there was more to life than the oppression that they were living under right now, and it says that they were crying out to the God of their fathers that he would come and do something about their situation. The cry of the Israelites was, God, we don't know what it looks like different, but we know that the mud that stains our hands from the hard labor that we live every single day of our lives is not the best that this story can be. You know, I reckon there's some parallels in the story of Israel with the story of our nation right now. If you look back at parts of our history, there was a a greater awareness and a greater acceptance of the Christian faith but changing times, changing you know, leaders within our community and within culture, and suddenly now the story of our faith heritage has been lost in history. Yet people don't seem any happier. And I would say just as the Israelites yearned for something greater, we've got communities full of people that are living a story and they look at their story and they wonder if there could be something better than the story they live because somewhere deep in their spirit is a yearning for something greater. And what do people do when they yearn for something greater? They go looking for places that are actually going to bring some kind of satisfaction to their soul. And so we have a community, we have a nation full of people that are going searching for answers for the yearning in their spirit about the life they live that doesn't fit, that isn't right, that doesn't make sense. And they can't even articulate why it doesn't make sense because they look at their parents and their parents' generation and they've all lived the same story. But there's something inside that says life right now isn't what it's meant to be. And they look at all their friends on Facebook and Instagram and everybody's projecting these perfect lives. But we've got communities full of people that have a yearning for something different. And so people go looking for it in all kinds of places. We wonder why addictive behavior is so implanted and on the rise within our community. Because people are yearning for something different and they're looking to escape the reality of what they live right now. And so they go searching in a whole bunch of different places. And this isn't just a story of our community, this is a story of some of us. The story I'm going to tell today, we're all going to find ourselves in it at some place. But there's people that turn to substances because they're looking for a way to escape the story that they're living that they can't see a way out of. And so they put things into their body and they they start to take substances on that just allow them a momentary escape from the pain and the reality and the yearning in their soul that they're experiencing in life. Maybe the addiction is not about substance. Maybe it's about work where it's like we're just going to dive headlong into doing stuff to keep ourselves distracted from the reality of how we feel when there's no one around and there's no noise and we're just left alone with our feelings. Maybe for some people the addiction is found in relationships or, or sex or, or, or places where it's like I'm just going to go somewhere to try and deal with the yearning that's inside because not everything right now feels right. We have a community. We are people that know that there's a yearning in our spirit for something different. Just like the Israelites yearned for something different and they didn't know what it was they even yearned for because they had no model of anything different and they cried out to God. See, I don't think it's just the Israelites. I don't just think it's our nation. I actually think there's a whole bunch of us today that are sitting here and there's a yearning in our spirit that says the story I'm living right now, the life that I've got, I just 
It feels like there should be something more. It feels like there should be something better. It feels like there should be a way out of this story that I keep living. And there's a yearning in your spirit. I don't know all of your stories. I know a bunch of them. But I wonder how many of us today, we might have been sitting in church for 30 years, but I wonder how many of us just yearn for something greater. When we look at the story of Israel in the scriptures, it says that the people were living in oppressive slavery, hard labor. They were seeing their children being thrown into the Nile by a brutal regime. And it says that they cried out to God for help. Enter the story, a man by the name of Moses. And here's the ironic, many of us have heard of Moses. Here's the ironic thing about Moses. Moses was one of those children that should have been thrown in the Nile, but see, the story tells us that those that were commanded to throw the kids in the Nile were actually filled with compassion for them, and so found ways to actually stop it happening. And when, you know, the king of the Pharaoh came and said, how come you aren't doing what I told you by throwing these children in the Nile? They're like, oh, the, the lady's giving birth to them. They're, they're so fast in their labor. We don't have time to get there before the children are born and taken away. But it just says that the midwives of Egypt were filled with compassion. There was something in them that says that what we're being asked to do isn't right. And so they take this child, Moses, and they put him in a basket in reeds and they put him in the Nile River and they float him off, never to know what the end of his story would be. Ironically, Moses, the child that should have been thrown into the Nile but was rather placed in the Nile, floats down near Pharaoh's household and is brought into Pharaoh's household. Fast forward Moses' story many, many years later. The child that should have been killed that now grew up as like the prince of Egypt, finds himself as part of God's plan for the cry and the yearning of the Israelite people. I'm going to read to you a little bit today from Exodus chapter 3. And it tells the story of a, a supernatural moment where God appears to Moses in a bush that looks aflame. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Yeah, God identifies himself to Moses through the great family story. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, and listen to this, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and a whole bunch of others. Don't, who loves in life group when they're asked to read and you get to a verse like that and you've got to pretend like you know what the words are? Just go with it. Everyone will just agree that you got it right. So I've come down to rescue them 
from the land of the Egyptians to bring them out into a land, a good land and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. So now go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This little passage starts what's going to be an incredible journey for us as we actually see what God does in his sovereign hand to lead his people out. But right at the beginning of Scripture, it was so good that Cain took us back to Genesis this morning because there's a model through the whole of Scripture that tells us this, that we have a God who loves to save people. That God is a God who saves. He is a gracious God that reaches into our mess and into our brokenness, that reaches into our pain and our oppression, that reaches into the mess that others have created that now we've got to live, and he reaches into the mess that we've created that we have to live the consequences of. But the Bible is full of a story of a God who takes the initiative. I just want to give us a really simple model that comes out of these verses that actually tells us exactly what the nature of God is like that lands in a story that actually changes the world for all of us. You see, God says this, Moses, I've heard and I've seen the cry and the misery of my people. Point one, God hears and sees whatever it is that you walk through. God hears and sees our pain and our misery. God is actively listening. And we started these prayer nights. We had our first prayer night on Tuesday night at the care center. Um, if, if you want to join us every week through the school term from 6 to 7 p.m. at our care center down on Blank Street, we're going to be joining for prayer. Soph already mentioned that we had our first one on Tuesday night. And you're one of the reasons we pray because we have a God who listens. We don't just pray stuff because it's the thing that we're told we should do. We're not just adding stuff to the list of to-dos in the Christian life. We pray because right through Scripture, we find that there's a God who listens. And right here, God says, Moses, I've not just seen it, but I've heard the cry of my people, and I've heard their misery, and I've seen their misery, and and I've been filled with compassion, and I'm ready to do something about it. We have a God that hears the cry of his people. And we need to be a church that takes seriously the hurt and the pain, not just in our own lives, but of the community where God's placed us. And we need to get together and fervently say, God, would you come and help? Would you break through? Would you do what you've always done? Would you reach into the mess of the households and the communities and the families and the brokenness of Ormo and Pimpamar and Shaler Park and Windaroo and Mountain. Man, there's too many of you from too many places now. Of our community, God. And when you bring hope and healing and restoration. Why are we asking you this, God? Not because we love talking and just throwing stuff out loud. We're asking you because we know that you've always been the God that responds to the prayers of your people. You're the God that sees and you're the God that hears. Now, I've, I gave a challenge last week. If you won't, weren't here last week, here's my challenge. If you're part of this church community, I want to challenge you to find one Tuesday night every term this year to come join prayer. Here's the thing, right? We want to create a model where you don't... Prayer, there's no special words for prayer. I reckon when the Israelites were crying out in the midst of their brick-making activities that they didn't have wonderful, articulate words to tell God about the pain that was going on for them. There were probably days they just looked to heaven and said, God, this sucks, do something about it. And if that's the only prayer you want to come pray with us on Tuesday night, you are so welcome. Because prayer is not about impressing the people that are in the group with you. Prayer is just about speaking words straight out of your heart to the heart of God. And whatever words come out of your mouth, we're going to cheer them on. 
right? So come pray with us. Come pray with us Tuesday nights because there's always been a story through the scripture that God hears and God responds. Listen to the next thing that it says. It says, God says, I've heard in verse seven, the cry of my people, verse eight. So I have come down to rescue them. So I have come down to rescue them. The second little model that we find in this verse in chapter three that is modeled right through scripture, that God is the God of the initiative. And here's the thing that some of you can testify to because it's been your story of salvation. You didn't have to go looking for God. God found you. God's always been the one that takes the initiative of rescue. You see, if we want to talk about salvation, this isn't something that we need to conjure up and convince God of. God is the God of rescue. When he sees, he's the one that takes the initiative. Now, this ultimately lands in the story of Jesus, doesn't it? Who the Bible tells us stepped out of the glory and the riches of heaven. Heaven would have been a pretty comfortable place. Jesus had a pretty good spot in heaven. Kick him back. All was good. Everyone's bound and praising him. Everyone thinks he's the legend of all legends. And he says, I've heard the cry of my people. It's time for us to go. So what happens? Jesus steps out of the riches and the glory of heaven and steps smack bang in the middle of your mess and brokenness. Because that's what he does. That says for the story of the Israelites, God hears the cry of his people. Then he says, so here I come. I'm going to come and rescue them from their mess. God wants to rescue you from your mess. And right now today, maybe, maybe you are a believer. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're carrying some things yourself and you go, I just yearn for the breakthrough. And God wants to hear that cry because he's a God that loves to save. He wants to come and he wants to rescue. And so what's the model we see of how God interacts with us? One, he hears our cry, he sees our pain, his heart is moved with compassion and he's always the God that takes the initiative. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and then what? God doesn't just love to rescue us and just lift us out of the mess. He actually loves to pick us up out of the mess and carry us to something so much better. He says, so I've come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and what? To bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, one of the things that we need to get a hold of when we're reading the Old Testament, and I think we can understand this a little bit today, but for people, for a nation to be living in another nation and oppressed in another nation, one of the things that made it really difficult for them to have any identity was that they had no home. It's hard to have an identity without a home. They didn't have a home. They were a people that were oppressed in someone else's nation. And God says, I want to do something for you. I'm not just going to rescue, them from the, rescue you from the oppression. I'm actually going to lift you out of the circumstance and I'm going to take you to your own home. I'm going to give you land. And the land theme is so strong through the Old Testament because there was something about having their own block of dirt that was really part of the promise of God for their future. God just didn't want to rescue them from the mess. He actually wanted to take them to a brand new place a spacious place 
When the Bible says a land flowing with milk and honey, we wonder what that means, but that's just the Bible's way of saying a really good, productive place. These were agricultural people. And God said, I want to rescue you out of a life of building mud bricks to build someone else's future, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to give you a land. And as agricultural people, it's not just any old land. I'm going to give you a land that is fertile and is flourishing, and when you plant your crops, and they're going to grow in abundance. That's what I'm like. I'm not just going to take you out of a mess here. I'm going to place you in a, in a place over there that is beyond your wildest dreams and expectations. You see, God just doesn't hear our cries. God just doesn't respond with compassion. God just doesn't take the initiative. What he wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in our church, what he wants to do in our community is take us and bless us with something so much better than we could ever imagine. Because that's his nature. And the story of Jesus is one that says he's taking the initiative to step into your brokenness and he wants to bring his rescue into your life to pull you out of the mess of your brokenness and sin. But what he has for you at the end point of that isn't just something that is okay. It is something that is glorious. God's got something really good for you. God hears God initiates. God rescues us to a good place. And finally, he's got a job for you to do. So he meets Moses in the bush. I hear the band to come join me. He says, Moses, I've heard the cry of the people. I'm going to step into their story and do something incredible. I'm going to take them to a really good place. So Moses, go, I'm sending you. <laughs> Here's the final thing that's in the model of salvation that we find right through the scriptures. God wants to involve you in his story. And so for those of us sitting here today that have had the privilege, and I pray that the privilege of it would just go deep again today, but have had the privilege of knowing all that God has done, we would see that God actually then gives us the privilege of helping bring that story into the lives of others. Moses had no capacity in his own strength and his own resilience and his own capacity to drag a whole nation of people out of slavery into a new land, but God needed an instrument through which he would work. So he says, Moses, this is all that I'm gonna do. Okay, go, I'm gonna use you. And so guess what? Moses goes. I'm gonna unpack that part of the story next week. But here's what Jesus has always, this is what God has always done. God hears the cry of our brokenness. God steps into our reality. God wants to bring change into our hearts. He wants to take us to a much better place than the place that we're in right now. And then once he does his best work of his grace and his love and his acceptance doing a good work in us, guess what he wants to do? He wants to give you a purpose for your life that actually utilizes you in his salvation story right throughout this world. He doesn't just save you to sit still and get sores on your backside sitting in church he actually saves you to get busy and to give you the privilege of seeing other people's stories changed for all time man that is incredible this is what God does and that's exactly the story of Jesus and that's where I want to land today because church has got work for us to do because Jesus saw the mess that people had made and he said guess what I'm going to go it's time that I stepped in and did something about this. And so God clothed himself in humanity. 
He was born to a young mum, young human mother named Mary. Nothing special about Mary, like there was nothing special about Abraham, like there was nothing special about Moses. They were just ordinary everyday people that God put his finger on and said, I need you. I need you to be part of my story. There's nothing special about Eric, about Samuel, about Soph. There's a lot special about you guys. But there's nothing, there's nothing eternity shaking about what they could do in their own capacity. But God just puts his finger on them and says, I'm going to use you to do something really cool with me. And so God chooses this young girl named Mary who becomes the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus stepped into our reality because he heard the cry of our brokenness. And he said, I want to give you a way out. So he lived a great life. He spoke of the kingdom of God. He told us what it looks like when God's in charge and how good and glorious and wonderful it's going to be. But then he said, okay, now I've actually got to do something about the mess that you've created. So he gave his own life as a sacrifice for your and my brokenness and sin. But sin and the death of Jesus wasn't the end because on the third day, it says that he rose from the grave and declared, sin no longer has a mastery over you. In me, in my story, is a brand new story for you. And anyone, anyone at any time, in any nation, in any community, in any messy situation that makes a decision to put their faith and their trust in me and what I've done and declares that I am their Lord, guess what? I got a really good ending to the story for them. All the glory and the riches of heaven is theirs. I'm an eternal destination that is the equivalent of a land flowing with milk and honey. A spacious land, a good land, a whole land, a place of healing and restoration. But more than that, I'm going to save people, not just from their sin, but I'm going to save them for something brand new, to a new purpose now. Church, we steward this message. You've been sitting here for more than five minutes. If you've already put your faith in Jesus, this is the message that we steward. We carry it. God's given it to us to carry and to proclaim and to share that He is the God who saves. Hey, as we finish today, I don't want to miss the opportunity of anybody here that has never actually discovered the love and the grace of Jesus that's walked into your brokenness and wants to transform your story. And right now you might be sitting and you go, I understand what you say, Andrew, when you say there's a yearning for something better, but I don't know what that could possibly be because right now everything around me, I just feel stuck, I feel done, I feel overwhelmed, I feel broken, and I don't know where to turn to look for help. Well, the Bible tells us that God actually wants to give you an answer to that question. And it's a much better answer than one you've ever imagined. So you send his son Jesus to die for you. Is anyone that puts their faith in him declares that Jesus is Lord will have their sin forgiven and have their future secured. And we've got a prayer that we're going to get really familiar with. You know, we, we've encouraged people to pray through a prayer regularly, but we've actually put something now that we're going to stick on screen to give you the chance to read it. But Every time we meet, we want to give people an opportunity to pray this for the very first time because this is, this is not, it's not about the words. There's no formula in the words. It's just an acknowledgement that today I want to start my journey of following Jesus and I want to accept His grace and His love and His forgiveness into my life.
So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to this morning, for the very first time to pray this prayer with me. You know when you do, God's going to do something brand new in your life. He may not, you may not see a, a miraculous transformation of your circumstances, but He's going to do something inside of you that's going to give you a brand new way of dealing with your circumstances. He's going to give you a brand new heart. He's going to wipe the slate clean of all the stupid things you've done. And He's going to give you a new future that's found in Him. So this morning, church, if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to do two things. As I pray, would you pray along with me? Not as my prayer, but as yours. And then at the end of the service, it's really important that you tell somebody if you prayed that for the first time today. Because the Christian life was never meant to be done in isolation. And So as we finish our service, I'm going to be at the front, so our leaders will be at the front. Just come and say, hey, I prayed that for the first time. Help me start this Christian life well. And we'd love to do that with you this morning. But if you want to pray this morning, you do it with me right now. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and I choose to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and you promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know your power and grace forever. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.